Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a great verse, isn't it? Nothing can separate us from God. And so we, we look at that and we listen to that and we say to ourselves, man, that is an awesome God. In fact, that's what we proclaim to the world. God is what? God is love. And you know, there is truth to that. It's not just partial truth, it's total truth. In fact, when we look at a theology of God, what we understand from the Scripture is that God doesn't just love, He is love. The essence of God is love. And it's a love that knows no boundaries, it loves no distinctions, it, it, it has, no, it has no, no height, no depth. There's, there's nothing in all creation that will separate us from God's love. In fact, in the Old Testament, in the book of Hosea, God says, I want to show my people, the Israelites, how much I love them. And so he told a man by the name of Hosea, a prophet, he said, I want you to marry a woman who is a a prostitute. And your marriage to her is going to be a demonstration and a representation of how much I love my people. And so, so he marries her and he loves her, but she strays, she wanders. And So God says to him, I want you to go rescue her, bring her back, and love her. And it happens over and over and over. And the word in the Hebrew is hesed, H-E-S-E-D. It's a love that that is so deep, it is indescribable. In the New Testament, the word for love, the, the, the word for God's kind of love is agape. It's a word that, again, is indescribable. It is a word that, that we don't have enough words to, 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 um, to, to build a picture of. It's best known to where we know that for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And it wasn't just Jesus dying for friends. It was Jesus dying for enemies. And so... We understand the biblical concept of love, don't we? I mean, love is, is, is who God is. But if you look at the title of today's message, it, I hope, makes you stop and, and go, huh? Because the Bible, or, or because what the Bible teaches is, God loves you, but. Did you know that there is a but to God's love? See, we want to say, God loves you, no exceptions. And that is true to an extent, but there is a but. It is an unconditional love that is freely given, and it's not because of you, and it's not not what you've done to earn or deserve it. No, that is freely given from God, but God's love for you has a but to it. Let Let me add some to this. God loves you, but it's not the kind of love that you often think it is. You see, the love of God does it, it, the love of God does not mean that He tolerates us. The love of God does not mean that there are no boundaries for us. The love of God does not mean that He does not have, have discipline for us. 
And so this message today is to address what I'm hearing culturally that simply says God is a God of love and therefore do whatever you want. Just come to Jesus as you are and God will accept you just as you are and all is good and God will say, I'm just so glad you came because I just love you. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says something totally different. The Bible doesn't tell us that God's love is like our kind of love. The Bible tells us that God's love is His kind of love. So the first thing I want to look at is this. God loves us, but it's not the kind of love that we often think of. The kind of love we we often think of is a love from God that nullifies truth. You know what I mean by that? It means that God loves you apart from truth. And I'm here to tell you that the Word of God says, no, God loves you in the midst of truth. Because without truth, there really is no love. Turn your Bibles, if you will, to John. The Gospel of John, chapter 8. In John, chapter 8, we have this conversation between Jesus and the Pharisees. And so... In John 8.32, this is Jesus' response to those who are listening. If you hold my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will what? It will set you free. The truth will make you free. All right? So Jesus is saying, look, if you know me, then you know the truth. And the truth, because I am the truth, I will make you free. So the obvious question is, free from what? Well, we know because Jesus says in verse 34, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So truth gives freedom. Without truth, there is no freedom. Freedom from what? Freedom from sin. And so our culture says, look, just come to Jesus as you are. Just come to Him like you are. But the understanding of saying that is, come to Him like you are. You don't need to change anything. And that is not true. The Bible says you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. And the freedom you find is the freedom from sin. And it's not just from sin, but it's the slavery of sin. You see, there are two pictures here that Jesus is is painting for us. One, he's painting a picture of a slave to sin. A slave is one who has a master. A slave is one who does what the master commands or says. How many of you have ever felt powerless? Don't raise your hand on this unless you just want to. How many of you have ever felt powerless against sin? It's like you would go, man, I just, it's like I want to do something else, but I just can't help myself. That's slavery. That's when you, when you have no ability to get out of sin. And so you go, look, I, I, am, I am a slave to this. And Jesus says, look, the only way to be set from the slavery of sin is to know the truth, and I am the truth. And so God loves you, but it does not nullify truth. Because He cannot love you apart from Jesus. And Jesus said, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life and no one comes to the Father but through me. And so our culture says, come to Him like you are. Don't worry about changing anything. He accepts you just as you are. And the Bible says, no, I don't accept you just like you are. 
if you mean if you mean accepting you like you are is being okay with you staying like you are. We want all the grace and all the mercy of God, but we want hit on our terms, not on his. And so God loves you, but it's not the same kind of love that you and I think of. God loves you, but it does not nullify the truth because the truth sets us free from sin. God loves you, but He will not like you stay and live like you want. In, uh, in the book of Romans, we actually have a legal defense to the church at Rome. And my, my plan initially was to go through this legal defense, but then I realized in First Baptist that that would be in, impossible. I'll just get, put it over here. That would be impossible because um, it, it, it's, it's, it's such an in-depth and there's so much history behind it. So let me just kind of bring you through the, the, the highlights or the, the main points, if you will. So in Romans, G, uh, uh, the author is speaking to the church at Rome, and he, his argument to them is this. You know what, what is right. Not because of the law, but because there's a law written on your hearts. That's chapter 1. So whether or not you are a follower of Jesus or a follower of someone or something else, you still have the law of God written on your hearts. And I think we find that true in today's culture, don't we? Like if you ask anybody, hey, is it okay for me to murder my neighbor? What are they going to say? They're going to say no, right? Is it okay for me to hurt a child? What are they going to say? They're going to say no. Is it okay for me to steal something that's not mine? Most people would probably say no, right? We have these laws and you say, well, yeah, but we know those to be true because there are, they are national laws. Yeah, but who made the national laws? National, you know, state laws, local laws, these laws were made because there's a standard somewhere. And without the Bible at all, because we know this, because in other countries where there is no um, um, heavy Christianity as the... As the um, as, as, as the public, uh, uh, where Christianity is small anyways, there's still certain rules that you can and can't do. Why? Because the law of God is written on our hearts. And so God says, look, you have my law written on your hearts of right or wrong. And because that law is on your hearts, your hearts testify to the fact that there is a morality, that there are some things that are good and some things that are not good. And so the things that are good you accept and the things that are not good you condemn. I, as God, have the same kind of standard. I, as God, because I love you, I say there are things that are good and there are things that are not good. And all throughout Romans, what we find is that there is this struggle. There is this battle between guilt and sin and shame and the freedom and the grace and the mercy that comes from Christ Jesus. And so when, God, when, when I say God loves you, but God loves you, but he doesn't allow you to stay and live however you want to live. Now, we don't like that, but we're really good about pointing that out to other people. Not so good about ourselves, aren't we? Isn't that why Jesus told the parable? He said, look, don't worry about the plank in your neighbor's eye. Worry about, or don't worry about the speck in your neighbor's eye. Worry about the plank in your own eye. This message today is a feel-good message. It really is. Because freedom feels good. Hope feels good. 
Being clean feels good. Being right with God feels so good. But in order to feel so good, we've got to feel so bad. We've got to understand that our laissez-faire, our, our, lackaday, uh, 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 our, our uh, uh, easy approach to God is not quite as easy as the Bible lays it out. And I'm not talking about legalism. I'm not talking about a set of rules. I'm talking about an understanding that God is a God of love and mercy and grace, but He's also a God of justice. And in the Scripture, there are plenty of times where He's a God of wrath and He's a God of, of, of suffering. I mean, he, he, he's, he's this complete God, not just a one-sided, lopsided God. And in the public discourse, all we're hearing is a one-sided, lopsided God. And that is a wrong picture of God. So God loves us, but we can't just live however we want to live. Romans chapter 6 is where the author says it probably the most clearly. Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 1. And I learned this in a different translation, so I'll probably... Uh, I'll probably say it by memory from that, but it says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live any longer in it? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. The argument here from the author is this. How can we who have died to sin continue any longer in it? What's he saying? He's saying that if you come to faith in Jesus Christ, there is a death to sin. That's what Paul meant when he said, I am crucified to Christ or crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live, but Christ Jesus lives in me. So the crucifixion to Christ is we are crucified to our own flesh. We are crucified to our desires. I am dead to sin. And so his argument is, how can we who are dead to sin continue any longer in it? Doesn't that go against what our culture says? If God, since God loves you, just, just come to him as you are and, and you're okay and you're accepted and, and God's not really, not really going to mess with that stuff. He, he, he understands your weaknesses and temptations. And, and it's almost like we as the church want to soft, soften God up. It's almost like we want to we make him more palatable to people. We want to make him more acceptable because we don't want people to turn away from God. And so therefore, we're not going to talk about, about what's required of us when we come to Christ. We're just going to say, just come to him and, and just be yourself and, and it's okay. But that's not what the Bible teaches, is it? You remember in, in John chapter 8, the very first, first verse through, I guess, verse 15 or so, there's a woman and she's caught in adultery. And these, these men uh, bring her to Jesus. And they've got stones in their hands. And they, they say to, to Jesus, the law requires that she die from stoning. And that's what the law said. The law said that if you're caught in adultery, then it's death by stoning. And so, and so they have these rocks and they look at Jesus and they're challenging him. Will he, will he uh, 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 live out the law and do what's required? And what does he do? He doesn't say a word. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a little, little imagining here, but knowing how wise Jesus is and knowing how powerful He is in all of His humility, I have a feeling that, that this, 
this story happened over, a, over moments, minutes, not just like very quickly. I have, a, have an idea that there's this pregnant pause. There is this suspense. That, you know, it was almost like a... I mean, it's kind of like, you know, how you, you have this standoff. And I imagine when they came and said to, to Jesus, this woman deserves stoning. What are you going to do about it? And they're, they're maybe, you know, juggling the stones or, or, or holding them like this and just waiting for his word. I imagine he just kind of stands there and he probably looks at each one of them in the eye. Here's why I think he did that. This is not in the Bible. This is just my own interpretation of it, okay? Take it, take it for that. I think he looked them in the eye because there was something about the eyes of Jesus that could pierce your soul. There was something about his, his, his eyes that, that when he looked at you, Peter knew that all too well. Because remember in the story where Peter denied Jesus and then he was warming himself by the fire and on the third denial of Jesus, the Bible says that the two of them looked at each other and Peter had that overwhelming sense of grief and guilt that he had just denied the Savior. I think that part of that is his, his ability to look through the external and see what's going on inside. And I think that as he looked at them, they probably felt a little uncomfortable. And then he got on his knee and he took his finger and he just started doodling in the sand. Now, marvelously, the Bible doesn't tell us what he wrote. It doesn't tell us what he drew. It's kind of like an etch-a-sketch in the sand, right? But as he drew, the Bible says that one by one, they just dropped their rocks and they left. And then after a little while, he looks at the woman and he says, Woman, where are your accusers? They've left. Now what is he saying? He's saying, look, you come to me just like you are. You have come to me caught guilty of adultery. You've come to me as a sinner. You've come to me broken. You've come to me without, without hope. You've come to me condemned. By the law, she was condemned. But he said to her, then neither do I condemn you. Wow. That is the message that's being taught publicly today. And it's right, but it's incomplete. Because what's the very next thing that he says? Go and sin no more. There's this recognition that yes, you are broken when you come to Jesus. But when you come to Jesus, you are coming to Him for the purpose of being made whole. We don't come to Jesus dirty so that we can stay dirty. We come to Jesus because we recognize that we cannot clean ourselves. And so we come to Him and say, Jesus, here I am. Do with me what you wish to do with me. And do you know how good it feels to be clean? I, I told you this before. I, I have this infatuation with showers. I love taking a shower. I do. I love it so much, I put a tankless water heater in my house. And, and, and so, you know, a 20-minute shower, I can do it. I can do a 40-minute shower because I got unlimited. I get eternal hot water. It's almost like what heaven will be like. It's awesome. Shannon's always like, hey, save some for the fishes, you know? I mean... So, so I love taking showers. In fact, it, I even 
built a shower on the end of my house outside and on the end of my house inside because I'm always wanting to do what? Get clean. Here's why. In the summertime, if I'm out in the yard for just a few moments, what happens? The humidity just goes, and you start to drip, right? And, and, and the sweat is sticky, and the sweat is smelly. And if you're working in the yard, you get dirt all over you, and you, get, you, you, start, to, you start to get crusty. That's ooh, right? But is, am I painting the picture enough? Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? So do you, do you with me celebrate that moment where you can walk in the house, go straight to the shower, turn it on, and jump in, and you see all of the dirt drip away? Do y'all celebrate with me? The feeling of being Irish clean spring? Of Calgon taking you away, right? I mean, do you, do you not love the feeling of being clean, Right? Man, that's the greatest feeling in the world. Jesus is saying to this woman, you have come to me dirty, icky, stinky, sinful, and I don't condemn you because you came to me, but go and sin no more. In other words, it's not okay for you to stay where you are. You came to me rightfully, but I want you to know that by you coming to me, you're asking me to change you. God loves you, but you still need repentance. I still need repentance. Here's what the Bible says in Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Will you turn in your Bibles there? In Acts 3, 19... My pages are sticking together... I love this passage, but unfortunately, we often leave this out of the gospel when we share. It says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Isn't that what I just talked about on a human level? You're dirty, you're, you're stinky, you're sticky. You, you make a walk into the house and you jump in the shower and you allow the water to wash you clean. And when you get out, you are refreshed. You are renewed. You are, you are, you are alive again, right? The Bible says that repentance is necessary for salvation. The message that we hear culturally is this. Come as you are. And stay as you are. You don't have to change. But the message of the Bible is this. Come as you are and turn from your sin. In fact, I'll give you another verse. Acts 20, verse 21. Acts 20, 21 says, I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. Repentance is necessary for salvation. Here's what repentance is. Repentance is a military term that means to do a 180. It's an about face. If I'm walking this direction and I stop and I acknowledge I'm going the wrong direction, I can choose, I either want to continue my own way or I'm going to repent and I'm going to turn directions and I'm going to go back towards God. Now here's the deal. Repentance is not as much 
changing your ways as it is changing your mind and changing your heart. To repent is to agree with God, to say to God, I acknowledge that you said this is sin. I acknowledge that you said I must do this or I must do that. And so to repent is to get onto God's schedule. It's to get into His plan. And repentance is not easy, and here's why. In order for repentance to happen, there can be no pride. Because pride says, I'm not really wrong. I haven't really offended. I haven't really violated. The nature of mankind is this, to plead our case of why we're right. And so many people, I think, are in that position even today. God is saying, come to me just like you are. Come to me with your brokenness and with your sin. I love you and my love for you is deep and it's wide and it's indescribable. Turn and come to me. But you need to understand that when you come to me, you cannot stay as you are. You've got to allow me to change you and to, and, and to mold you and to shape you because that is my requirement. And we're over here saying to God, yeah, but, but see, I don't think that you're right on that. I think that I should be able to come to you, tell you what, how about I give up a little bit and you give a little bit and we'll meet halfway in the middle. Folks, listen, God is not a negotiator. He doesn't bargain with three-year-olds. One of the things I learned as a parent a long time ago is you cannot negotiate with a toddler. Right? You cannot negotiate with a toddler. If you negotiate with a toddler, that toddler's got more control than that toddler needs to have. A toddler needs a father and a mother. Not a, not a negotiator. Why? Because all a toddler wants is what a toddler wants. I want ice cream. I don't want to get a bath. I don't want to uh, go to my room. I don't want to help with the dishes. I don't want to pick up my toys. Have you ever known a toddler that was not pretty much completely self-centered in their entire world? I'm not being mean to toddlers. I'm just saying that's our nature. That's, that's who we are as children. But guess what? Unless that is dealt with, we grow up to be adults who just want our way. We grow up thinking that God must be like our parents and just all I have to do is, is say it enough times and they're eventually going to cave in and give me, God's going to eventually cave in and give me what I want and it's my world. If, if I might be very cautious here to say, one of the most critical times in your parenting life is when your children are toddlers because that's when you teach them boundaries on such a... Such a, such a deep level. That's when they learn that they're not the center of the universe. That's when they should. None of us do it perfect. It's hard. Because <laughs> you, you know as well as I do. No, there's nothing more. What's the word I'm looking for? Chipping away, beating away, nothing more. Nothing will weaken a man like a toddler saying the same thing over and over and over. Y- y'all get what I'm saying here? You ever had a toddler do that? But, but how about just this much? How about, how about you do this? How about we do this? But I want this. No, I want to do this. And we jump on the floor and all that, right? 
That's a toddler for you. But if we're not careful, we will grow up and we'll live our entire life negotiating with God as if God is about to make a deal with us. But here's what God said. God said that unless you repent, and repentance is not, Lord, I'm, I'll, go, I'll, I'll, I'll say that it was kind of sin. I'll say it was mostly sin. I'll say, I'll say you're 99.9% right. And God says, no, I am 100% right. Because I am God. I say this to you today because you and I are being bombarded on an everyday basis. We are being bombarded to chip away the truth of the Scripture. Just give a little bit. Just, just ease up a little bit. I'm not talking about being pharisaical and I'm not talking about being judgmental. No, we should not be that way. But we should hold to the truth of Scripture exactly as the truth of Scripture is given. And the more you hold to that, the more foreign you're going to be to a world that says, God just loves me and accepts me as I am. God does love you, but... He loves you, but you still must repent. Here's one that I've heard. We are all God's children. Have y'all heard that? We're all God's children. That sounds really, really good, but do you know that God loves you, but we're not all God's children? We are all God's creation. We are all made by God. We're made in His image. We are all, we are all given life and, and given breath. And we're all known by God. We're all loved by God. Everybody, no matter what color, no matter what country, no matter what, 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 uh, uh, what we're like in, in every single way possible. But as far as being part of the family, we're not all part of God's family. Let me show it to you. Go back to John chapter 8. This is just one instance. In John chapter 8, it's right after the conversation where Jesus says, So if the Son will set you free, you'll be free indeed. And then verse 37, He says to the, to the Pharisees this. John eight thirty seven. He says, I know that you are Abraham's descendants. See? You're His descendants. Yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I'm telling you what I've seen in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your Father. So here's the art. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, look, you are Abraham's descendants. He is your great, 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 great granddaddy. So you, are, you, you have his blood in you. But I'm telling you that I'm doing what my Father says but you're doing what your father says. Who's the father? Or I guess we should say, Jesus could have said, who's your daddy, right? Who, who's he talking about? Because we just saw that Abraham was their, was their earthly father. Well, Jesus actually makes it much more clear. Verse 39, Abraham is our father, they answered. And then Jesus, if you were Abraham's children, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, and a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God, Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. There it is a second time. 
We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. All right, so here's what you have. You have the the Pharisees saying, we are Abraham's children and we have God as our father. They declared with their mouths that God is their father. Do we hear that today? Absolutely. I love God. I love Jesus. We're, we're, We're together. And then here's what Jesus said. He said, if God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. Verse 44, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, or for there is no truth in him. When he... Lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and he is the father of lies. There it is. Jesus said, You are coming to God on your own terms. You are coming to God, claiming to follow God, claiming to love God, but you don't love God. In fact, you are being deceived by your father, the devil, because you don't want to obey what I'm saying. You want to do what you want to do. You want to come to God on your own terms, and God says, no, my terms are Jesus. Why do we have such a problem with this? We don't get to define how we come to Christ. We don't get to, we don't get to justify our actions. I don't get to justify my actions. No, when I come to Christ, I come to Him just like you, and I say, God, it is not my will, but it is your, yours that's, that's done. Lord, it's not my standard, it's your standard. I don't care what anybody else's standard is. What I care about, God, is what have you said? And as we saw in our scripture for the day, we're in error because what? Because we don't know the scriptures. Folks, listen. This is not a judgmental sermon. This is a freedom sermon. The problems you and I face in our life are often the result of us not knowing the Scriptures because we engage in that which God condemns. And yet we call evil good and good evil. And it's not for somebody else to listen to. This is for us to listen to. Listen, we're so worried about the rest of the world and how they live that we have forgotten about the plank in our own eye. And and, and I'm talking about me, I'm talking about you, I'm talking about individually before God. We want to reconcile our life to God and God says, well, you can do that if you want. But that's not what my word says. I made a statement at First Baptist and I believe it to be true. I think we can live a decent life and not be obedient to Christ. I think we can have a decent family think we can have a decent job, we can have a, a decent home, we can have a, 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 a decent, decent uh, neighborhood. I, th- I think that things can be decent and us not yield to the truth of the gospel. I mean, we see that, right? But, but I don't want a decent anything. I want the kind of life that Jesus talks about where he says, I've come that you might have life most decent. No, life most abundantly. One of the things about um, 
old school preachers that, that I think we have gotten away from is the willingness to address sin publicly. And it comes from a, it comes from a, a good intention, but it leads to a bad result. When we only speak of the love of God, it's like you going to a doctor with a deadly disease. One that's curable. And you go to the doctor and say, Doctor, I don't feel good. I, I, I just, I, I, need, I need something. There, there's something wrong, but I don't know what it is. Can you help me? And the doctor does the doctor test, and through his test, he discovers that the problem is, is, is one particular issue. He knows what the problem is, but he thinks to himself, you know, if I tell them that, that's going to offend them. If I tell them that, that's going to hurt their feelings. That's going to, that, that might, they might change doctors if I tell them that. And, and we're friends. I mean, I, I don't want them to think that I'm a, I don't want them to think that I'm bad news, you know, doc. I, I want them to like me. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell them how to feel better, but I'm not really going to address the problem. How many of you would go to that doctor, hear that news, and think to yourself, oh, that's good to know, and then leave, but know there's still something going on? And, and then if you ever found out that he didn't tell you the truth, you would be angry and felt cheated and lied to. Anybody? Why would you feel that way? Because the doctor's job is not to make you feel good. The doctor's job is for you to find wholeness, right? For your illness to be, to be figured out and to be dealt with. This is the gospel. The gospel's job, the good news, is that we are broken, that our sin condemns us, that we are separated from God. And the gospel says, the good news is, Jesus forgives sin. Jesus makes us whole. Jesus changes everything. Jesus gives life eternal, but life now. But Jesus gives these things by truth, and truth is confrontational to sin. And there's no other way around it. So for a church, if we love each other, we tell the truth. If we love each other, we confront sin. If we love a world who doesn't know why they're hurting, we say the reason you're hurting is because you are sick in a way that you can't heal yourself. Only Jesus can. Does that make sense? So because God loves us, or even though God loves us, we're not all His children. We become a child by receiving Him. The Bible says that it's by grace that you're saved through what? Through what? Through faith. Not of what? Works. So that none of us can boast. See, we're over here going, Lord, I'm coming to you, but I'm not, I'm not going to address, I'm not going to, I'll come to you, but I just want to make, I just want to make sure we're under the understanding that, that this is who I am. And God says, 
no, I'm not going to tolerate that. You're not going to tell me the conditions of our relationship. It's God who extends the relationship, not us to Him. Does that make sense? So it's by grace that we're saved through faith, not of a work so that none of us shall boast. And it's also God demonstrating His love for us in that even though we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Here's the final but. God loves you, but not everyone is going to heaven. Again, if you look in the book of Romans, what you find is this argument that's being laid out that says the way to eternal life is only through the blood of Christ Jesus. Heaven is the way we talk about eternal life in our own language, right? So by saying, I want to go to heaven, what we're saying is, I want to have eternal life, which is really, I want to be right with God. The only way to be right with God is to what I've already said. It's through repentance, which is turning from ourself and our sin and turning towards God. And when we come towards God, listen very closely, our works do not save us, but as God saves us, He transforms us, and we look differently today than we ever did when we came to Him. If you don't look differently today than you do when you came to Christ Jesus, you were not saved. Because you cannot come to Christ and not be transformed by Christ. Notice I did not give you how much you look differently. I, I, I didn't say unless you're doing these things. No, if you, if you had an encounter with Jesus Christ 10 years ago, But nothing changed in your life. All you did was wave to Him and keep on walking. Because repentance, again, is saying, God, I stopped going my way and I'm starting to go. I'm not saying that you haven't wrestled back and forth. I'm not saying that you haven't been pulled back and forth. I'm not saying that you're perfect. I'm not saying that you don't sin. I'm not saying that you don't wrestle. No, I think those are all part of the human experience. And and we don't justify those, but we recognize that's part of what it is. But when you turn to Christ Jesus, He He gets claim to your life in every single area. In your thought life, in your personal life, in your business life, in your your relationships with others, in 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 your hobbies. Everything you are and have gets transferred into His name. And you cannot have that happen without Him changing things. Again, this is not an easy gospel to hear, but it is the gospel that Jesus preached. In fact, do you remember when the disciples were together and one of his disciples with Jesus, one of the disciples said, Jesus, man, your preaching's too hard. Everybody left. Everybody's gone. Can you just soften it a little bit? And he goes, are you going to leave too? And I love their answer. Where will we go? For you alone have the words of life. Here is the the action for you and for me today, okay? The action for you and for me today is, number one, if you haven't yet repented and turned to Jesus, if you've been trying to come to God on your own terms, the action is today to turn from your sin and turn to Jesus. Now, honestly, 
whether it's a point in time or whether it's a conversation over, I mean, I, 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 can't, I can't necessarily pin it down to one single moment. But I can tell you that um, to be born again, there has to be that turning. Does that make sense when I say it? It's not, in other words, I'm saying it, it's not just a prayer. It's not, dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know you died for me, so come in my heart. That, that may or may not be the moment you repented and turned to Christ. That may just be a prayer that, that you didn't really, that, that, that there wasn't that true repentance. But I'm saying somewhere along the way, we realize, you know, we have that aha moment, if you will. We realize, you know what? I do yield to Christ Jesus. And when we, when we do that, I'm asking you, if you've never done that, to do that and let that be today. How shall we escape then if we neglect salvation? Is what Hebrews tells us. How will we escape what God's how will we escape God's wrath, his promise to those who reject the gospel? How will we escape? We won't escape. It's a, it's a rhetorical question. We won't escape that. At some point, we're going to stand before God and God is going to say, what have you done with my son? The only answer is, I've yielded to Christ Jesus or I've turned away from Christ Jesus. In other terms, I've argued about how to turn to you or I've just turned to you and said, okay, on your terms, I'll go. So this morning, if you have not yet yielded to Jesus... And in your heart said to him, God, I recognize that I'm a sinner and I need you. Bow to knee. I mean, there's so many different pictures we could give. If there hasn't been a brokenness over sin, that's what I'm asking you to do this morning. This morning, the second thing, if your life is, is not being lived with holiness as the standard... God is calling you to repent. To where God says, look, I'm using you as much as I can, but not as much as I could. You know, if you were to come over my house and I were to offer you a cup of coffee, it would be awfully rude of me for me to go over to the sink and grab a coffee cup that I used that morning and stick it under and make you coffee. Would anybody be okay with that? No? Or if you were to come over to my, my house to eat and, and I were to say, no, I, I, I've got some food and I were to go over to the trash can and pull a paper, paper plate out of the trash can, just kind of scrape it off and put you some food and put it in front of you, what would you say to me? You'd say, uh, thank you, but I would prefer a clean, a clean plate. You could eat the food, but you're not going to want to. It is the same thing with God. We cry out to God. God, use me. God, speak to me. God, 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 you, God, God use me to do things. And, and God says, I want to use you, but I cannot use you until I clean you. And that's an issue of repentance on our part. The third thing I'm asking from you today is this. Would you be willing to, to stand on the truth of God's Word and not let a culture that does not know God to find God for you apart from what the Bible says? Would you not let the, the, the voice of the masses change what the Bible says to be true about God? Because our God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, 
and forever. Will you close your eyes and bow your head for just a moment? <laughs> Kevin mentioned earlier that there seemed to be a, a like a, a, a weird feeling during worship, like a, like a battle was going on. And I, and I think that the battle that's going on is the battle between between God's spirit and the flesh. This morning, would you come in just as if you would come in, take a shower, and let Jesus Christ cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Father, I pray this morning that you would have your way. God, you do love us with an undeniable and indescribable love. But Father, I pray that you'd help us to recognize who you are. Lord, I pray that this morning we would become clean before you. Father, would you wash us and make us new in every way. And in this we pray in Jesus' name. Will you stand and let's sing together. Find out more about First Baptist Church Gulf Breeze at fbcgulfbreeze.org.